Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Once again, we're going to study a very important development, which is leading us right into the end times. But before we get into that, I just want to say thank you for your prayers and support for Keep the Faith. Your friendship and partnership is very important to getting God's message out to thousands every month. So thank you and God bless you. Let me remind you that you can still order the Prophetic Secrets of the New World Order DVDs. They will bring you up to date on the prophetic foundations of end-time events so that you won't be confused when current events unfold. Once you understand the basics, you will grasp the developments around us in a prophetic way. Order your set today from Keep the Faith Ministry. Also sign up for your weekday prophetic intelligence briefings. They will keep you informed on a day-by-day -day basis of the little news items you might have missed. We cast them in their prophetic context so that you can easily see the shaping of events to prepare the world for the end of time. Sign up today online at ktfnews.com. And don't forget to share the pink card in your packet each month with someone else so that they too can become subscribers and get ready for the coming of Jesus. As we begin, let us bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus and Bible prophecy that awakens us to the times in which we live and the nearness of the coming of Jesus. We believe we must watch the signs of the times so that we may know the end is near. This does not scare us if we are in Christ, but it gives us confidence in the Bible and in the power of God as we see its prophecies being fulfilled right before our eyes. Now as we look at another sobering development, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit to teach us the things of God, that we may understand more fully what to expect in the near future. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open your Bibles with me to Luke 21. This is Luke's rendition of the same event that Matthew reveals to us in his gospel. These are the words of Jesus. Beginning with verse 9, we read, But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. For these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. This is saying some very important things, my friends, and it gives us a little different perspective than Matthew's report. First of all, did you notice that when these things happen, Jesus said the end is not by and by? What does by and by mean? It is King James English for soon. In other words, the end is not soon when you hear of wars and rumors of wars. There is yet to come something even more devastating and terrifying and much more significant than a world war. Notice also that Jesus is actually giving instruction on what to do. He says, when ye hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. This is strong language. Terrified is a word that suggests extreme fear. It suggests that in the last days, people will be petrified. This means to scare you so much that you almost die. Or in other words, 
you are nearly scared to death. In fact, verse 26 says that things will get so bad that men's hearts will fail them for fear. So in other words, we are to have so much faith and so much trust in God that he has us under his watchful care, that nothing will terrify us. Friends, that is real faith, practical faith, to trust that he will spare us from these things even when it doesn't seem possible to escape them is really important. In fact, in these last days, Jesus wants to give you experiences that will prepare you for what is coming and to trust him completely. That's why he ordains times in your life when you come to the point where you don't know what to do or where to turn. That's why he ordains trials and conflicts and even mistreatment. He has to purify your soul and also get you to focus on him so that you can trust him instead of yourself. Of course, if he's going to protect you, you must be living by the principles he has given you in his word and in the counsel of the Lord. If not, you will not necessarily be protected. But notice the word commotions. Obviously, there will be some very terrifying events that will take place before Jesus comes. What is a commotion? Well, that's a disorderly event. It is a confused and noisy disturbance, an uproar or tumult. Would a terrorist attack be a commotion? Sure it would. Do terrorist attacks terrify people? Of course they do. As men's hearts fail them for fear, God's people are reassured that they are not to be terrified. They are to trust in God's love and protection. Please notice that terrorists mainly attack big cities or things that are being done in and around or that affect big cities. They do this to get maximum exposure and to kill or injure as many people as possible. That suggests that there is a problem in big cities, my friends. Not only is crime and drugs and other evil things concentrated in cities, but there are extremists that are planning to kill or injure people in those cities all the time. But terrorism is not the only commotion. When things get tough, there is rioting in the streets of big cities. And when people become so unhappy with their leaders that they cannot take any more of their measures, they trigger a riot to get exposure. These can be very dangerous, especially if rioters take to throwing things at buildings or at others. We've seen many riots in the last few years, from Ferguson to Baltimore to Greece, Rioters challenge police and other law enforcement agencies and apparatus. I don't know about you, my friends, but I want to stay as far away from all that as I can. But sometimes you cannot avoid a crisis. Sometimes war and commotion come to you. Or when you're working for God, you have to work in the cities to reach the hearts of men and women. What happens then if crisis comes to you? What do you do? That's when we are to especially trust God. We are to live in complete confidence in the God of heaven for our bread and water as well as protection and survival. Let me remind you of the verses in Psalm 91, starting with verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Did you hear that? In Him will I trust? When? Well, that's talking about when horrific things happen all around you. That's talking about the times when people are dying all around you. Have you ever seen anyone die right next to you when something unexpected happens? No doubt some of you have. It can be terrifying, but when you trust the Lord, you have assurance that whatever happens to you 
will be divinely ordained for your own good and for the good of God's cause. Verse 3. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Okay, so this is not only talking about the devices of the enemy to ensnare you in sin. It is talking about the devices of anyone that are designed to entrap you or pin you into a corner. It involves those who want to accuse and misrepresent you. It involves those who want to fire you, divorce you, or mistreat you in some way for Christ's sake. Let me read on from verse 4. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. What is a shield? If you're living by God's truth, it will protect you like a shield protected ancient soldiers from arrows. It's like a Kevlar flak jacket that absorbs bullets and other flying projectiles and protects your chest from injury. What is a buckler? Well, that's another type of shield, a small one that is held in the hand or on the forearm. It can be raised to protect the face from flying objects. With God's truth in your heart, you will be invincible unless God determines otherwise. If you're living by God's truth in your life and not disobeying Him in regard to anything, the angels of heaven will protect you. They will become a shield and buckler to you. When you have that kind of trust, which is confidence in God, verse 5 goes on to say, that thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. That's talking about war and commotion, my friends. Verse 6, Nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Friends, the Bible tells us in these verses that there will be frightful and horrific things that will happen to this old world before Jesus comes. There will be terrorism, war, disease, natural disasters, fire, flood, danger on every hand. Passage from place to place will become very difficult and dangerous. Listen to this interesting statement from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 22. We have no time to lose. The end is near. The passage from place to place to spread the truth will soon be hedged with dangers on the right hand and on the left. Everything will be placed to obstruct the way of the Lord's messengers so that they will not be able to do that which it is possible for them to do now. We must look our work fairly in the face and advance as fast as possible in aggressive warfare. From the light given me of God, I know that the powers of darkness are working with intense energy from beneath, and with stealthy tread, Satan is advancing to take those who are now asleep, as a wolf taking his prey. We have warnings now which we may give, a work now which we may do, but soon it will be more difficult than we can imagine. God help us to keep in the channel of light, to work with our eyes fastened on Jesus our leader, and patiently, perseveringly press on to gain the victory. Did you hear that about passage from place to place being hedged up with dangers on the right hand and on the left? You won't be very safe driving to the grocery store. That's if there's any food left. Only God can protect you then. Just imagine what might happen if there's a nuclear bomb that goes off upwind from where you live. You can't eat the food or drink the water. What then are you going to do? 
You see, my friends, there will come a time in which it will be impossible to depend on earthly resources. You will have to depend on the angels of God to provide your bread and water when the normal sources are contaminated. We had better learn to depend on Christ now, so that it will be automatic and natural then. Otherwise, you may be facing fears that you can't handle. Now is the time to practice for the final exam. Yes, that's what preparation is. It is practice, and you'd better know your Bible. It is the Bible that will give you the confidence to go through that time. Listen to this statement from Maranatha, page 45. I have been shown that many who profess to have a knowledge of present truth know not what they believe. They do not understand the evidences of their faith. They have no just appreciation of the work for the present time. When the time of trial shall come, there are men now preaching to others who will find upon examining the positions they hold that there are many things for which they can give no satisfactory reason. Until thus tested, they know not their great ignorance. And there are many in the church who take it for granted that they understand what they believe. But until controversy arises, they do not know their own weakness. When separated from those of like faith and compelled to stand singly and alone to explain their belief, they will be surprised to see how confused are their ideas of what they had accepted as truth. Oh, friends, I don't want that to happen to me, do you? I must know my Bible and make it the man of my counsel. The Bible is very relevant today and more relevant than any time in history. Right now, when we are coming up to the end of time and the chaos and perplexity will seize the nations, we need the assurance that the Bible gives us that God has a purpose for us and that he will spare us as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Malachi 3.17 we need to understand that the Bible has guidance for every problem in life. Let's read the whole section around that verse. This is vital. Malachi 3:16-18. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Oh, my friends, make sure that you are one of God's jewels. He will give you discernment. And if your mind is stayed on Christ, you will be thinking about his name, which is his character. If you fear the Lord, you will not fear anything earthly. If you think upon His character, you will become like Him, and He will then bring you into places where He can e really use you to witness for Him. He'll even bring you into dangerous places and use you to reflect His character in your life, even in the most trying circumstances. They're coming, my friends. This is no time to dilly-dally with your character training in Christ. We're up against monsters. The enemy of souls is cultivating monsters to do evil things by feeding them such a diet for the eyes of violence that they learn to crave it. Jesus said that in the last days there would be violence of magnificent proportions. He said that the antediluvian world is a prophetic type of what we are to expect in the last days. 
Listen carefully to what we're told concerning that time. This is from the book Temperance, page 25. The evils that are so apparent at the present time are the same that brought destruction to the antediluvian world. In the days that were before the flood, one of the prevailing sins was drunkenness. From the record of Genesis we learn that the earth was so corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Crime reigned supreme. Life itself was unsafe. Men whose reason was dethroned by intoxicating drink thought little of taking the life of a human being. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The drunkenness and the crime that now prevail have been foretold by the Savior himself. We are living in the closing days of earth's history. It is a most solemn time. Everything betokens the soon return of our Lord. Is this the way it is today? Even more so than when this was written, my friends. We have to take stock of this and understand the world we live in. The world is morally worthless. So much crime and violence has developed that whole nations think nothing of killing and taking human life. The last four presidents of the United States have engaged in unnecessary wars to gain political ends. Bill Clinton twice launched military attacks on Serbia, ordering NATO to bomb the former Yugoslavia both in 1995 and 1999. The war between the Albanians and the Serbs in Kosovo led to the bombing of the Serbians by the Clinton administration. George W. Bush invaded Afghanistan and Iraq and attacked provinces of Pakistan and Yemen from the air. Barack Obama used NATO to destroy Libya and sent mercenaries to destroy Syria. And that's not to mention the attacks on Libya, Somalia, and his efforts to overthrow governments in Venezuela, Ecuador, Bolivia, Honduras, and the Ukraine. And Donald Trump has attacked Syria and Afghanistan with U.S. forces thereby becoming a war president early in his regime. It does not matter the excuse or reasons for going to war if a situation does not interfere with U.S. security. However, that is almost always the way it is painted, as if what happens a world away has everything to do with national security of the United States. In reality, there are other issues behind the scenes that we often do not know. The United States is the most militarily engaged nation on the planet at the moment, outstripping Russia and China combined. She engages other allies to assist her in her plans and operations, but it is clear that the United States, along with other Western powers, has continually engaged in political engineering around the world through its military. And Washington has always partnered with Britain, Canada, Germany, Australia, and NATO to accomplish her goals. According to a 2012 Pentagon report declassified in 2015, the U.S. Obama administration was fully aware that it was cultivating the rise of the Islamic State. The report reveals that Western governments coordinated with Gulf states and Turkey to intentionally support Al-Qaeda and other Islamist extremist groups to topple dictator Bashir al-Assad in Syria, despite anticipating that doing so could lead to the emergence of an extremist Salafist principality or an Islamic state in Iraq and Syria, which is today known as ISIS. The declassified Pentagon document foresaw the likely rise of the Islamic state as a direct consequence of the strategy. 
but described this outcome as a strategic opportunity to isolate the Syrian regime. What was not clear up until the release of the document was how the U.S. predetermined the course of events in the Middle East. There is the possibility of establishing a declared or undeclared Salafist principality in eastern Syria, Hasaka and Derjor, the declassified document says, and this is exactly what the supporting powers to the opposition want in order to isolate the Syrian regime. While some media outlets have reported on the U.S. intelligence community's internal prediction of the rise of ISIS, none of them have accurately acknowledged the details exposing how the West knowingly fostered a sectarian, al-Qaeda-driven rebellion in Syria with its consequential and massive bloodshed, human suffering, and a mass migration into Europe. In spite of being acutely aware of the dire risks of this strategy, the Pentagon went ahead anyway. The establishment of such a Salafist principality in eastern Syria, it says, would create the ideal atmosphere for AQI, that's Al-Qaeda in Iraq, to return to its old pockets in Mosul and Ramadi. Charles Shoebridge, a former British counterterrorism intelligence officer, said, Throughout the early years of the Syria crisis, the U.S. and U.K. governments, and almost universally the West's mainstream media, promoted Syria's rebels as moderate, liberal, secular, democratic, and therefore deserving of the West's support. None of it was true. Brad Hoff, a former U.S. Marine, affirmed that U.S. intelligence predicted the rise of the Islamic State in Iraq and the Levant, ISIL or ISIS, but instead of clearly delineating the group as an enemy, the report envisions the terror group as a U.S. strategic asset and offers a tool for regime change in Syria. No wonder the U.S. was so dilatory in attacking ISIS. Russia saw through it clearly and eventually began its own campaign against ISIS, which was much more effective than the half-hearted U.S. campaign. U.S. Vice President Joe Biden at the time admitted in 2014 that Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Qatar, and Turkey had funneled hundreds of millions of dollars to Islamist rebels in Syria that metamorphosed into ISIS, though he did not admit that the entire covert strategy was sanctioned and supervised by the U.S., Britain, France, Israel, and other Western powers. All of this raises troubling questions about the intentions of the U.S., Britain, and other allies. Why would they deliberately create so much death, misery, and suffering in an effort to destabilize a dictatorial regime in Syria? Democracy doesn't work with Arabs. They don't know how to manage themselves in a dictatorless country. They don't understand the rule of law, and they have their own laws which are very, very diverse from Western laws. War doesn't just happen spontaneously, it is cultivated by earthly powers with ambitions under the guidance of their unseen leader. How can a U.S. president, his officials and advisors, sleep at night knowing that they have created so much bloodshed, misery, and chaos? How could George H.W. Bush, who promoted the attack on Iraq on the theory that there were weapons of mass destruction there while knowing all the while that it was untrue? George H.W. Bush, by the way, would have been the first of five presidents who were involved in war in the last 30 years. 
Listen to this statement from the book Lift Him Up, page 364. Today the signs of the times declare that we are standing on the threshold of great and solemn events. Everything in our world is in agitation. Before our eyes is filling the Savior's prophecy of the events to precede His coming. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. The scriptures also give us an account of why God allows such terrible things to happen. Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty, and maketh it waste, and turneth it upside down, and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord hath spoken his, this word. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. That's Isaiah 24, verses 1 to 5. Now with the upheaval in Syria, millions of refugees whose homes and lives have been devastated by the war and conflict in Syria are bringing their own set of problems to the European Union. The dislocation has been enormous and has brought many problems to Europe, including gang rape of European women, terrorism, and various social problems and crises. It also creates angst in Europe over the millions of Arabs that don't have jobs and loiter on the streets, often getting themselves in trouble. Do you think there's a reason behind this? Would the refugee crisis in Europe have been part of a planned strategy to bring upheaval to Europe, as well as Syria and the nations in between? Why destabilize the world order unless there is a plan to change it? If there's enough chaos, people would support a change in the world order, which is precisely the goal. To keep the peace, the elites will say, we need an overruling regime with real power to enforce their will. And the Bible tells us there will be a lot of chaos. Let's have a look at Luke 21, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said, And upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. The sea and the waves refer to multitudes of people. Notice that they are roaring. They are distressed and perplexed. They are angry, restive, and cause riots and bloodshed. It gets so bad that Jesus added, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Is this also referring to natural disasters like great storms, violent tornadoes, massive earthquakes, and tsunamis? Yes, it could be. But notice that Jesus also spoke rather clearly to his followers. He said, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. That's verse 28. Now the United States is in a tense relationship with Russia over the violence in Syria. President Trump, who used campaign rhetoric as a powerful weapon, is now using similar tactics to stir up the nations. Relations with Russia, for instance, are at a seriously low point. Think about it, my friends. It's actually prophetic. If the president is ever going to make America great again, he will have to address more than just domestic issues. He must also deal with provocations or perceived or spun provocations in North Korea, Syria, Iran, and other places. America has to show that it can use its muscle after many years of backtracking and downgrading America's power, particularly under the Obama regime. 
But President Obama wasn't free of violence of war either. Don't forget that the Obama administration authorized military activity in Libya, Syria, Somalia, and other places. The Bible tells us that the United States will get stronger. In fact, it will get so strong that the nations will go along with America's forceful power and just try to get along with her. Listen to this statement from Revelation 13, verse 12. Speaking of the United States, John the Revelator says, And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. In other words, America, which is the second beast mentioned in Revelation 13, will become exceedingly strong, strong enough to enforce the worship of the first beast or the Roman Catholic Church on a global scale. They will work together to build up each other's power. But what kind of power is this? Friends, the power of the first beast was to rule over the kings of the earth or earthly rulers. How will the United States become so strong that she will be respected as a global authority? America's influence has been declining in recent years, my friends. How will she become strong again? The only real way a nation can become strong on a geopolitical stage these days is by military might and conquest. In other words, the United States, in order to become great again according to Bible prophecy, must exercise military power in such a way as it will impress the nations of its standing and bring them to their knees. Making America great involves international violence and chaos. For Donald Trump to use the campaign slogan, Make America Great Again, is prophetic. He perhaps has no idea that the slogan has prophetic significance, but he used those words anyway. For America to be able to cause all peoples of the earth to worship in the Roman Catholic way, she is going to have to have some mighty power. She must become great again. And true to form, Donald Trump has dropped a super bomb on Afghanistan, bombed an airbase in Syria in response to the chemical gassing of some of Syria's citizens, and has threatened North Korea in an effort to stop North Korea's development of nuclear bombs. And now he is threatening Iran. Everywhere you look, if there is trouble in the region, you find Iran, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis said while traveling in Saudi Arabia. Mattis was in Riyadh to discuss a range of issues with the Saudis, including its war against Houthi rebels in Yemen, who received some backing from Iran. The violence continues. Even under Donald Trump, what is it about human nature that loves violence? What is it about governments that have to have conflict to remain relevant? Friends, Jesus could not have been more accurate when he predicted wars and rumors of wars near the end of time. Notice also that verse 13 of Revelation 13 tells us that the United States will have to support the support of supernatural principalities and powers. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. In other words, the enemy of souls will verify, in quotes, God's support for the United States by exercising supernatural and miraculous powers on its behalf. In other words, the enemy will deceive people by making them think that they had better do what the United States says, or they will suffer the vengeance of God. Think how this could develop, my friends. 
With evangelicals at the helm of power in the United States, it will be made clear that God supports the nation. Evangelicals are consolidating their power right now. Maybe they will lose it again, but in some, at some point they will gain unprecedented power over the government. Once there are a few conflicts that are decided by supernatural intervention, America will rise to new heights and impose her will on the nations. While fire from heaven could be nuclear war, it is more likely to be something else far more miraculous. Whatever the case, if America is ever going to cause people of the earth to worship in Rome's way, she has to exercise her power on Rome's behalf, and she must have all the power that Rome once had in old Europe. That's persecuting power. These are very important verses, my friends, that tell you a lot about the political landscape in the last days. Now think about this. Steve Bannon is one of the closest advisors to the U.S. President Donald Trump. Do you know what he believes? Bannon is an apocalypticist. What's that? Well, this is someone who believes that war is inevitable, even global war. Bannon derives his views from William Strauss and Neil Howe, who postulated that history operates on four-stage cycles of war, followed by awakening, then followed by another war, etc. These crises are called fourth turnings. Bannon has referred to this in interviews, speeches, and writing. In Bannon's view, we are in the midst of an existential war, and everything is part of that conflict. Treaties must be torn up, enemies named, culture changed, Global conflagration, should it occur, would only prove the theory correct. For Bannon, the fourth turning has arrived. The gray champion, a messianic strongman figure, may have already emerged. The apocalypse is now, according to him. What we are witnessing, Bannon said, is the birth of a new political order. According to Strauss and Howe, in their first book, Generations, published in 1991, the U.S. was and still is going through the most recent cycle's tail end. In their book, The Fourth Turning, which the authors published in 1997, they focus on the final apocalyptic part of the cycle. Strauss and Howe postulate that during this fourth turning crisis, an unexpected leader will emerge from an older generation to lead the nation and what they call the hero generation, in this case millennials, to a new order. This person is known as the Gray Champion. An election, or another event, perhaps a war, will bring this person to power and their regime will rule throughout the crisis. Regardless of its ideology, that new leadership will assert public authority and demand private sacrifice. Where leaders had once been inclined to alleviate social pressures, they now aggravate them to command the nation's attention. Bannon himself has frequently said that we're about to see another major global war. This is the fourth great crisis in American history, Bannon told an audience in 2011. We had the Revolution. We had the Civil War. We had the Great Depression and World War II. This is the great fourth turning in American history, he said. Major crises happen in about 80 to 100 year cycles, Bannon told another conference. The Judeo-Christian West is collapsing, it's imploding, and it's imploding on our watch. And the blowback of that is going to be tremendous. Against radical Islam, we're in a hundred-year war, he said in 2011. Then in 2014, Bannon was even invited to speak at a Vatican conference. We are in an outright war against jihadist Islamic fascism, he said. 
And this war is, I think, metastasizing far quicker than governments can handle it. You have an expansionist Islam and you have an expansionist China, he said in 2016 radio appearance. They're motivated, they're arrogant, and they're on the march, and they think the Judeo-Christian West is on the retreat. We're going to war in the South China Sea in the next five or ten years, aren't we? Bannon asked during a 2016 interview. In a 2015 radio appearance, Bannon described how he ran Breitbart. It's war, he said. It's war. Every day we put up America's at war. America's at war. We are at war. Bannon believes the Judeo-Christian West must fight back, lest it lose as it did when Constantinople fell to the Ottomans in 1453. Secularism has sapped the strength of the Judeo-Christian West to defend its ideals, he argued at the Vatican Conference. The aristocratic Washington class and the media, he has claimed, are in league with the entire religion of Islam and an expansionist China to undermine Judeo-Christian America. We're going to have some dark days before we get to the blue sky of morning again in America, Bannon warned in 2010. We are going to have to take some massive pain. Anybody who thinks we don't have to take pain, I believe, is fooling you. Friends, what are they planning? All this would be one thing for a regular citizen to say. It's another thing for the man who is now at the right hand of the President of the United States. Bannon's thinking is influencing the U.S. President. He is looking for a great champion leader. What leader will that be? Could that be the Pope? Not really. The Pope doesn't have any tanks, warplanes, or bombs. The Pope won't be the one to be the strongman or the enforcer. Recently, the U.S. president has been using aggressive language against North Korea. North Korea has been stoking the fires of war by test-launching missiles capable of carrying nuclear warheads and threatening to do yet another underground nuclear explosives test. Even before he became president, Donald Trump weighed in on the threat of North Korea, developing a nuclear warhead capable of reaching the U.S. It won't happen, he vowed on Twitter. Now, planners are contemplating what a U.S. strike to prevent that development might look like, and the options are grim. Analysts estimate North Korea may now possess between 10 and 25 nuclear weapons, with launch vehicles, Air Force jets, troops, and artillery scattered across the country, hidden in caves, and massed along the border with South Korea. That's on top of what the U.S. estimates to be one of the world's largest chemical weapons stockpiles, a biological weapons research program, and an active cyber warfare capability. Seoul's 10 million residents are just 35 miles, or 56 kilometers, south of the border, well within North Korea's artillery range. If hostilities erupt, there could be devastating human and economic consequences in South Korea. That's why North Korea hinges its survival in part on warning that any attack could provoke all-out war with South Korea. Unless you were in a crisis situation where we thought the North Koreans were getting ready to attack us, a preemptive strike against the North Korean nuclear and missile program is simply not a practical option, said Gary Samori, a former White House coordinator for weapons of mass destruction, proliferation, and terrorism. This has always been the problem for the U.S. and our allies. After President Trump 
ramped up his rhetoric against North Korea, the Pentagon ordered the USS Carl Vinson to head for Korean waters. Donald Trump has famously tweeted that if China, North Korea's closest ally, can't help rein in the regime, the U.S. and its allies will. North Korea is looking for trouble, he tweeted. If China decides to help, that would be great. If not, we will solve the problem without them. USA. U.S. Vice President Mike Pence, who met with allies in Asia, said he doesn't see the possibility of direct talks between the U.S. and North Korea at this time. If the United States attacked North Korea with precision-guided missiles launched from ships or submarines or dropped massive bunker-buster bombs on North Korea's underground nuclear facilities with stealth bombers, the North Koreans are likely to respond with a barrage of artillery in sh or shorter-range missiles from artillery it has amassed at the border with South Korea. In its defense, South Korea would go after the North Korean artillery along the border with its Patriot missiles and anti-missile ships. Seoul is currently installing a missile shield system known as THAAD, which they got from the U.S., but it's not ready to go yet. And while the U.S. military might want to do something that sends a message but doesn't start another Korean war, Pyongyang remains strategically unpredictable. North Korea's unpredictability has only increased under Kim Jong-un, grandson of founder Kim Il-sung, who has had family members and top military aides killed for real or perceived slights. Even a smaller U.S. strike, like the volley of cruise missiles Trump fired at Syria this month, might generate a response that's far from proportional. Some might say, look, you know they can't respond because they're fearful of the consequences, said Bruce Klingner, a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. But Kim's regime could also say, well, guys, game on. You can't guarantee what North Korea will do. Klingner was the Central Intelligence Agency's deputy division chief for Korea from 1996 to 2001. After Bill Clinton also considered strikes when North Korea was found to have been developing a nuclear capability. He said contingency scenarios at the time included estimates of hundreds of thousands of casualties, and that was before they had nuclear weapons. The situation facing the U.S. grows more dire as North Korea moves toward its goal of developing an intercontinental ballistic missile with a nuclear warhead that could hit the U.S. mainland, but they probably need until about 2020 to have that capability. They aren't likely to start with a nuclear option either. They have several levels of escalation to go before they get to nuclear weapons. In taking on North Korea so directly, Trump confronts a problem that bedeviled his predecessors from both political parties. Six-nation talks, direct bilateral negotiations, food aid, and United Nations sanctions have all failed to deter the Kim dynasty. Even China, Pyongyang's ally, has been snubbed by the Kim regime repeatedly over the years. More than 30 years after Nixon, the Atlantic magazine ran a wargaming scenario assembling experts to come up with what a U.S. response would look like. Run by retired Air Force Colonel Sam Gardner, the exercise ultimately ended in discord, with little agreement aside from the consensus that the North Korean problem would only grow worse over time. And while it is claimed by some that the Trump administration, like those before it, 
appears to have no clear objective for North Korea, don't underestimate what he might do. When U.S. Vice President Pence visited Japan, he publicly assured the Japanese that the United States would stand with them, which presumably means that the United States will consult with them and even depend on their concurrence with any war game that might be developed. Meanwhile, whispers in Washington suggest that Donald Trump could send 50,000 troops to Syria to defeat the Islamic State. Senior White House and administration officials say Trump's National Security Advisor, General H.R. McMaster, has been quietly pressing his colleagues to question the underlying assumptions of a light U.S. ground troop presence in Syria. McMaster's critics inside the administration say he wants to send tens of thousands of ground troops into the Euphrates River Valley. And while the president has said we are not going into Syria, the possibility of a wider campaign is being debated. After all, one of the first things Donald Trump did upon taking office was to tell the Pentagon to develop a strategy to defeat the Islamic State. Inside the Pentagon, military leaders favor lifting restrictive rules of engagement for U.S. Special Operations Forces and using more close air support, like attack helicopters, in future operations against the Islamic State capital in Raqqa. At the time I prepared this message, there is no concurrent consensus on how many troops to send to Syria, so it remains to be seen what the administration will decide. The president wants to defeat ISIS. He wants to win, said Jack Keane, a retired four-star army general. Hand-wringing about U.S. ground troops in Syria was a fetish of the Obama administration. Time to look honestly at a winning military strategy, he added. My friends, while we don't know how all of this is going to unfold, there is no doubt that sooner or later America will go into another war, and so will its allies. The shadows of war are thickening, and President Trump is likely to trigger more engagement at some point. Are you ready, my friends? Here's quite a statement from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, 268. This is a vision given to God's messenger to the remnant about the end times. Listen carefully. I was shown the inhabitants of the earth in utmost confusion. War, bloodshed, privation, want, famine, and pestilence were abroad in the land. My attention was then called from the scene. There seemed to be a little time of peace. Once more the inhabitants of the earth were presented before me, and again everything was in utmost confusion. Strife, war, and bloodshed with famine and pestilence raged everywhere. Other nations were engaged in this war and confusion. War caused famine, want and bloodshed caused pestilence, and then men's hearts failed them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. Notice the little time of peace. Would that be the time for any of God's faithful people that remain in the cities and in war-torn areas to get themselves out of that? And notice this one from The Great Controversy, page 589. Satan delights in war, for it excites the worst passions of the soul, and then sweeps into eternity its victims steeped in vice and blood. It is his object to incite the nations to war against one another, for he can thus divert the minds of the people from the work of preparation to stand in the day of God. Here's yet another one that really impacted me when I read it. It's from Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 221 and 222. 
We are standing on the threshold of great and solemn events. Prophecies are fulfilling. Strange and eventful history is being recorded in the books of heaven. Events which it was declared would shortly precede the great day of God. Everything in the world is in an unsettled state. The nations are angry, and great preparations for war are being made. Nation is plotting against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. The great day of God is hastening greatly. But although the nations are mustering their forces for war and bloodshed, the command to the angels is still in force, that they hold the four winds until the servants of God are sealed in their foreheads. Friends, do you think it's time to live completely in line with Christ and His law so that you can be sealed in your forehead? That means that even in your mind you love the law of God. You keep it with your body, but you live for it in your mind as well. It isn't just an obedience thing, when you would really rather be doing something else. Friends, in those who stand in the last days, there will be no disconnect between their minds and their bodies. They will be loyal to God with both. Here's another statement that gives us a clue as to what God is planning. It's from Maranatha, page 200. Just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, it is not a seal or mark that can be seen, but a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so that they cannot be moved. Just as soon as God's people are sealed and prepared for the shaking, it will come. Indeed, it has begun already. The judgments of God are now upon the land and give us warning that we may know what is coming. The sealing is the settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually. What does settling into the truth mean? That means that you are so firmly committed to Christ that you have stopped sinning and that He has your total affection. It means that you will fight the enemy's temptations with all you've got. There's no turning back. You have reached your own tipping point in which... You no longer have any affection for this world or for the enemy and his enticements. When something is sealed, it is no longer exposed to the oxidants that will corrupt it or make it go off. It will theoretically last forever. Have you ever canned or bottled applesauce? When those lids seal down on the jar, that applesauce will remain good for your lifetime and beyond. I had one jar that lasted me 25 years. It was applesauce that was prepared for my wedding reception when I married Betsy. It was in our pantry for 25 years. When we opened it for our 25th anniversary, it was just as fresh and tasty as on the day of our wedding. The ceiling is like that. Your character will no longer vacillate between good and evil, between carnal and spiritual. You will have overcome all temptation and all sin. Don't you want that experience? I do. I want my soul to be so sealed that I will be trusted throughout all eternity by all the heavenly hosts. But that takes discipline, my friends, discipline in Christ. If you're going to go through the coming holocaust against the righteous, you will need a firm stability in Christ, a clear vision of the contrast between evil and righteousness, and a sense of God's presence in your life. And though the leftist news media mocks Donald Trump over the confusion and misinformation that may or may not be planned, that does not mean that Mr. Trump will not do what he says he will do. War and bloodshed are here to stay, my friends, and they are only going to increase and get worse until populous cities are laid in ruins. We don't know if President Trump will start a new military engagement, but we know that the Bible tells us that it will come sooner or later. 
So it's very important to prepare for serious times, my friends. Listen to this important statement concerning the end times. It's found in the book Education, page 179. Listen carefully. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living. Rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes, have their attention fixed on the events taking place about us. They're watching the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element, and they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place, that the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. Did you hear that about the stupendous crisis? The whole world is watching. The whole world realizes that something is not right. They cannot fully understand it, but they're watching. They see the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. They're not fools. They know there is coming a massive change, and they watch current events like never before. Yet many of God's people who have the answers to their questions are asleep. Many of them aren't able to articulate the prophetic connections to the current events around them. They are as blind to fulfilling prophecy as the common man out there on the street. Friends, God has called us to be watchful. Make the connections so that you will know that we are near the end and you won't be taken by an overwhelming and stupendous crisis. Friends, we need Jesus. We need his presence in our lives today, tomorrow, and every day. We are living right near the very end. Here's one last comment that will help you see where all this is headed. The laws instituted by God for the prevention and punishment of crime were marked by strict and impartial justice. But the sinfulness of man perverts the wisest laws, both human and divine. It is because men in authority can be bribed to, to excuse sin and let the guilty pass unpunished that justice has fallen in the streets and equity cannot enter. These evils are causing the earth to become as corrupt as in the days of Noah. The most terrible crimes are becoming so common as hardly to awaken a feeling of horror. Our own nation is guilty before God of permitting the most atrocious crimes to pass unheeded. The accumulating weight of unpunished sin is sinking the nation to destruction. The wrongs they do not condemn and punish are making this people the subject of God's retributive justice. Licentiousness, robbery, and murder, continually on the increase, are in deluging our world and preparing it to receive the unmingled wrath of God. That's from Signs of the Times, January 20, 1881. All the way back in 1881, it was explained to us what to expect in the last days. Violence and crime would be everywhere, and we see that today. The potential for world war is casting its shadows long across the nations. Jesus is coming soon, my friends. Look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for telling us what to expect in the last days. We know your word is very specific and that we can rely on it to explain what is coming upon the world. But we pray that we will learn to lean on Jesus and trust him for all of our support. And when chaos breaks out, please show us how to avoid its dangers. Settle us into the truth, we pray. May we be so much in love with Jesus that there's nothing that can separate us from him. Thank you for the victory he provides through his grace. 
and please bring us under the shadow of the Almighty instead of the shadow of war. In Jesus' name, Amen. We hope you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you so much for your support. If you've been impressed by this message and it has blessed your soul, please consider making a gift to help some other poor souls find their way to heaven through the CDs from Keep the Faith. The song you've just heard is called No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus, sung by Jennifer Buttery. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Seekers of Your Heart. This CD has many wonderful songs on it, which are not in public domain, but which you will greatly appreciate. Jennifer's lovely voice brings these songs to life. This CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry. If you would like to have a copy of this CD or copies of for your friends or family, just send $16 each postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we will gladly send them. Please mention the Seekers of Your Heart CD. Our international listeners should send $20 USD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of Bible prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. 
we can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, Australia cashless by 2022. Australia is marching toward a cashless society and its drive to do so is gathering momentum. More companies are cashless than ever, with more and more of them offering online-only products and services. Digital wallets, in the form of smartphones and other devices, used to make online payments will account for $1.35 trillion in global spend by the end of 2017, a 32% increase on 2016. The majority of smartphone users believe Australia could become cashless as early as 2022. Smartphone users already made 53% of their payments digitally, and 79% believed it would soon become the norm. In the last 12 months, said Elliot Smith, head of consumer deposits at Westpac Bank, there has been a 200% increase in Westpac customers using their mobile phone to tap and pay. Cashless technology is the way of the future. Digital payment providers have jumped on board too. Apps are being developed to allow customers to order and pay for food from favorite local cafes and restaurants. One of the latest concepts to come on board is digital gift card giving, where vouchers for major stores can be bought, sent, and received via mobile phone instantly. The gift card market in Australia is worth $4.5 billion annually, said Clara Morris of Prezi, an app company that sells digital gift cards. Digital gift cards are more personal than giving someone cash. You have them on your phone, you never lose them, and if you lose your phone, we put a hold on the card. Miss Morris believes physical gift cards may no longer exist in three to five years. Prezi partners with large retailers like Meyer, David Jones, JB Hi-Fi, Woolworths, and Kohl's to provide cards people can purchase. Australians are so comfortable with the digital environment that the younger generation is looking forward to a cashless society in the future. And the tipping point may be sooner than later. A consortium of companies and the RBA is developing a new payment system in which people can send money to other people or businesses in real time, even outside banking hours. Similar systems are already functioning in places like Sweden, which is almost entirely cashless. And come 1 July, fees banks are allowed to charge for using cards for transactions will drop to three cents, further pushing a cashless track. And while there are still some holdouts, like older people, Australia is rapidly moving toward cashless anyway. But pushing all transactions to digital and away from cash has a very dark side. The Bible prophetically tells us that eventually those who do not go along with the religion of the New World Order will be banned from economic transactions altogether. Having only a digital economy will make that considerably easier to enforce. As Australia nears the end of cash, it will become much easier to impose the mark of the beast. Will Australia lead the world in economic control? And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Revelation 13, verse 17. Next, Gorsuch confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Neil McGill Gorsuch of Colorado received Senate confirmation Friday, April 7, 
as the 113th Justice of the Supreme Court. He will replace Justice Antonin Scalia, who died more than a year earlier in February of 2016. President Obama had nominated Merrick Garland for Scalia's seat, but the Republican-dominated Senate refused to confirm him. This no doubt colored the Democratic perceptions of Gorsuch. Gorsuch was only confirmed after the Senate changed the rules to facilitate his confirmation after the first Democratic filibuster of a Supreme Court nominee in American history. Prior to the change in rules, the Senate needed 60 votes to close debate, cloture, on presidential nominees. But in 2013, the Democrats, with Supreme Court support, changed the rules of cloture so that only a simple majority was required to confirm all presidential nominees except for the Supreme Court. This made it difficult for the Republican minority to oppose many of President Obama's nominees because Democrats dominated the Senate back then. Now, Senate Republicans used a similar tactic to turn the tables on the Democrats and forced the change of procedure to a simple majority for cloture on a Supreme Court nominee. The rule can be changed by a mere majority vote. Prior to the change, Senate Democrats filibustered the vote in an attempt to delay closure of the debate, or cloture, on Gorsuch's confirmation. But when the Republicans opted to use the so-called nuclear option to change the rules, Democrats got some of their own medicine. They could hardly oppose the change because they'd done it themselves previously. The Senate voted 54 to 45 to confirm Gorsuch to the Supreme Court for life. At 49 years of age, Gorsuch will likely be around for a long while and could significantly impact the trajectory of the court. For the past 10 plus years on the Tenth Circuit, Gorsuch has developed a reputation as a strict textualist and originalist like Scalia, someone who reads statutes and the Constitution literally and seeks to interpret them through the eyes of their authors. I fear very much that Gorsuch will be a part of an extreme right-wing majority that will attack workers' rights, women's rights, and environmental protection, as well as make our political system less democratic, said Bernie Sanders, former Democratic candidate for president. Changing the rules is dangerous. Once the change is made and a new party is elected to power, they will use the new process for their own ends. Gradually, the nation's lawmakers will make the Senate and the Supreme Court more political than it already is. Minority leader Charles Schumer, a Democrat from New York, said the Republicans' rule change will make the Senate and the Supreme Court more partisan places. As a result, America's faith in the integrity of the court and their trust in the basic impartiality of the law will suffer, he said. Those are serious things for this republic. As the two main U.S. parties have become more polarized, it will make an even more crucial impact. Political elites and others know that people get tired of their leaders and eventually replace them with an individual from another party with an opposite view. After the Senate's rule change to eliminate the minority party's power, the president no longer needs to garner support from any Democrats, said John Malcolm, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Republicans may be more emboldened to nominate more judges that have conservative track records. 
In just a few short years, the lack of bipartisan collaboration and political extremism has made it easier for the ruling party, whether Republican or Democrat, to push its extreme agenda more successfully. No doubt the enemy of souls will use this to bring America to the brink of national apostasy. If President Trump gets to replace any of the three elderly members of the Supreme Court, it could swing much farther to the right. The rightward swing of the United States in general is laying the foundation for the reaction to the liberal overreach, which could easily lead to religious laws. Once large disasters fall upon the inhabitants of the United States and are perceived as divine judgments. Will Judge Gorsuch help prepare for the fulfillment of the following statement? Satan will excite indignation against the humble minority who conscientiously refuse to accept popular customs and traditions. Men of position and reputation will join with the lawless and the vile to take counsel against the people of God. Wealth, genius, education will combine to cover them with contempt. Persecuting rulers, ministers, and church members will conspire against them. With voice and pen, by boasts, threats, and ridicule, they will seek to overthrow their faith. By false representations and angry appeals, they will stir up the passions of the people. Not having a thus saith the scriptures to bring against the advocates of the Bible Sabbath, they will resort to oppressive enactments to supply the lack. To secure popularity and patronage, legislators will yield to the demand for a Sunday law. On this battlefield comes the last great conflict of the controversy between truth and error. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 450 and 451. Next, homosexuality exploding among U.S. teens. Homosexuality is exploding among U.S. teens and young adults. Over the last decade, the relative proportion of U.S. teenagers claiming to be homosexual has increased 85%. The relative proportion who have not made up their minds about embracing homosexuality has increased 53%. And those claiming interest only in the opposite sex has dropped 6%. The U.S. Centers of Disease Control says that of the 16 million high school students today, an extra million are either homosexual or heading in that direction. In 2012, 43% of all adult LGBs were between the ages of 18 and 36. In 2016, it was 58%. The swelling ranks of young adult homosexuals is 7.3% up from 5.8% during the same period. From gay pride parades to Disney little gay messages infused in its films to the CDC recommending that all schools have gay straight clubs, boosting homosexuality is the flavor of the new sensitive society. The strategy is working, especially among girls. Gallup reports that the majority of homosexuals 20 years ago were men. 55% are now women. By painting gays as victims under the civil rights umbrella, these efforts have many girls feeling sorry for lesbians in the same manner they used to rescue wayward guys. And the feminist anti-male attitude and proliferation of female sports teams, along with many lesbian coaches, are added motivations to go gay as well. During 2001 to 2009, 92.1% of U.S. high school students said they were only sexually interested in the opposite sex. In 2015, the last year for which we have data, 
86.5% did, a 6% decrease or 900,000 kids. 10 years ago, 5.1% or 800,000 said they were sexually interested in their own sex. In 2015, 1.5 million, an additional 704,000 more said so, an increase of 84.2%. And where 2.6% of kids in the 2001 to 2009 survey said they were unsure of their sexual identity, 4% made the same report in 2015, an increase of 53%. All of this suggests that the claims of gay activists that people are born homosexual is false. As far as what they reported doing, the same surveys found that 51.9% said they had only had sex with the opposite sex. In 2015, that had dropped 13% to 45%. Before, 5.7% reported having had homosexual sex. By 2015, it had increased 43% to 8.1%. Whereas teenagers who had only reported heterosexual sex outnumbered those with homosexual experience about 10 to 1. In 2015, they only outnumbered those with homosexual experience less than 6 to 1. The same thing is happening across the West. For instance, in Great Britain in 1991, 91% of 18 to 24 year olds said they were exclusively straight and only 4% ever had homosexual sex. By 2015, only 46% said the same and 23% said they had experienced gay sex. Preteens and teens are the battleground and these current developments portend a much more homosexual future. It all happens that statistics show that sexual minority kids are more frequently involved in dating violence and at school, drugs, suicide, hopelessness, and sadness. Hollywood, the media, educators, and even the CDC may feel proud that they have impacted a generation of youth, but it is the kind of influence that has led many more kids into drug use, suicide, mental health problems, etc. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Next, Britain files for divorce from the European Union. The United Kingdom filed for divorce from the European Union, overturning four decades of integration with its neighbors, demolishing the notion that the EU expansion is inevitable. The letter, hand-carried to the President of the European Council, Donald Tusk, formally triggered the two-year countdown to the split. There is no reason to pretend this is a happy day, Tusk told reporters. He emphasized that the priority now is to minimize costs for EU citizens and member states. To Britain, he said, we already miss you. But for Britons, who voted 52 to 48 percent to leave the bloc, it was time to celebrate. Former UK Independence Party leader Nigel Farage said Britain had passed the point of no return. I can still, to be honest with you, scarcely believe that today has come, he said. Prime Minister Theresa May's six-page letter to Tusk invoking Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty was polite and conciliatory, stressing that Britons want to remain committed partners and allies to our friends across the continent. She said the two sides should engage with one another constructively and respectfully in a spirit of sincere cooperation. The loss of a major member is destabilizing for the EU, 
which is battling to contain a tide of nationalist and populist sentiment. Britain hopes to get a good deal from its divorce, but it is unclear how close and friendly the new relationship will be, and the implications for business, trade, students who study abroad, etc. The two sides now have until March 2019 to agree on a divorce settlement and, if possible, establish a new relationship between Britain, the world's fifth largest economy, and the EU, a vast single market taking in half a billion people. Both Britain and the EU say a top priority will be guaranteeing the rights of three million EU citizens living in Britain and one million Britons living elsewhere in the bloc. After decades of expansion, losing one of its largest members is a major blow. But they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Daniel 2, verse 43. Next, Croatian Bishops' Conference. Ban work on Sundays. The Croatian Bishops' Conference has launched an initiative to legally forbid working on Sunday and called on Croatian citizens to support them and contribute to the preservation of Sunday in its historical meaning as a non-working day, which is an opportunity for family reunion. Healthcare, security, transport, and some services that are of general public interest, which must have staff to operate on Sunday, would be exempted. We primarily mean those activities in which the workers, due to weaknesses of Croatian legal protections, are forced to work without a weekly rest said the bishops. They therefore spend Sundays away from their circle of families and children, while other people spend it as a day of rest. It is no wonder that for them, due to this obvious discrimination, working Sundays bring certain emptiness and gloom, added the Bishops' Conference. The Croatian Bishops' Conference therefore urges all parts of Croatian society, the lay faithful Christians, Catholic organizations and movements, and all societal institutions and organizations that are committed to people and their dignity to contribute with their actions to the preservation of Sunday. The Croatian bishops have been promoting Sunday rest since 1997. Sunday rest laws are only one step from Sunday worship laws, which is the real aim once the legal framework has established Sunday rest. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him, Revelation 13, verse 8. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.